You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Listen to them. Children of the night. What? Canterbury. They make. Hello and welcome along to Attaboy Clarence, this very special spooktacular edition featuring some ghoulish storytelling and a trio of spookerific reviews today. The good, the bad and the ugly. Before we do though, hands up if you're a fan of Candid Camera. One of the most famous formats of all time, hidden cameras captured real-life interactions between unknowing members of the public and some wild situations. It ran from 1948 all the way through to 2014, one of the most successful shows ever. Did you know though that the format began on radio? Yes, back in 1947, Candid Microphone delighted audiences with hidden microphones recording setups that ranged from staged accidents to rigged dinner parties. It also snagged this little gem, a candid microphone recording of a customer browsing in a very unusual store managed for the day by a very special horror star. On a bright and sunny afternoon last week, a window shopping lady walked into a curio shop to browse, maybe to buy. She didn't know what she was really walking into. In the gloom and semi-darkness of the shop, she could see a pile of shrunken heads, oddly fashioned skulls, ghoulish knickknacks made of human bones. If Dracula himself were to step out of the shadows, it wouldn't surprise her a bit. Or would it? We'll find out because Bela Lugosi, the Dracula of the movies, was posing as the manager. The king of the zombies with a polite, can I help you, madam, is already talking to the lady. You see, that's an original skull with the original hair on it. Do you like it? It's certainly unusual, but I don't know. These are pieces of my collection. Uh When I traveled in Africa and in Asia, I always collect odd things, and I specialize in skulls and human bones, especially if I find one where I knew the person alive. Uh. Did you see something like that? I am collecting all these skulls and make different things out of it, because that's my hobby. But my supply ran out now. It is a... Peculiarly, suggestive hobby, if I may say so. Isn't it? That's the fascination of it. Is that a really a shrunken head or is it... No, but it is a original size head of a certain tribe of savages. Mm-hmm. They call it the pygmies. Mm. And that was saved for posterity. Good Lord. And that's the original hair, too? Yes. The original yeah. hair. You can uh-huh. touch them. Uh-huh. Oh, I can see them. You're not as silky as you are. Yeah, yeah. You have a wonderful skull. You know, in a civilized country like America, I cannot 
get enough uh, skulls. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as the law is concerned, I need in writing the donation of the party who would like to leave me their skull. Mm-hmm. Would you do it? No. Perhaps I, I could yeah. manufacture something practical out of it. I could make different things out of that. I imagine you could. You see what I could do? I could make of your skull yeah, a tobacco jar like that. What? So any time I stuff my pipe, I would have to think of you. Oh, dear. <laughs> now, before you go, I have a surprise for you. Uh-huh. Now, that little chat we just had now mm-hmm. was recorded. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and may I introduce myself? My name is Baylor Lugosi. Really? The king of the zombies. I don't so, believe it because... You don't? No. Now I'll take a bite of your neck now. Here! <laughs> Baylor Lugosi there showing his jovial side. Manager of what sounded like a skull and bone shop. I want to know why the lady was browsing there in the first place. Anyway, on to films. As I said, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start with the bad. 1932's The Monster Walks. You instantly know you're in the company of quality here. A film from Commonwealth Pictures, that famous studio house. Originally, this was an Action Pictures production. Then it was given to Mayfair Pictures. Then it got tossed over to Astor Pictures and finally ended up being owned proudly by the cinematic titans at Commonwealth Pictures, which should tell you much of what you need to know about The Monster Walks, a film so bad that even the Dust Bowl offices of no less than four Poverty Row Studios wanted nothing to do with it. But anyway, is it a so-bad-it's-good schlock treat? for the Halloween period? Well, let's find out. We open on a very tragic scene. A man is dead. No explanation given, really. He just died. His death was very sudden, Mrs. Krug. Yes, sir. He was alive last night when I brought in his supper. This morning, Hans found his body. Your son? Yes, sir. Tender stuff, I'm sure you'll agree, but forget the drama. What's that noise downstairs in the house? It's Yogi, Mr. Earldon's ape. But I thought he had disposed of him. No, sir. Do you mean to say that that animal is in this house? Yes, sir. Mr. Robert had Hans lock him in his cage in the cellar. Yes, believe it or not, I just played you an almost unabridged version of how this film opens. A man has tragically died, but don't worry about that little happenstance. There's a monkey in the house, so that's far more important, you know. Is it in its cage? Yes. Is it going to stay in its cage? That's the plan. Which room is it in? That one. Why is it making a noise? Because apparently a man has died and that's set off its death senses. Yes, monkeys cry when there's a death in the house, so Tick that one off your bingo cards. So anyway, let me tell you about the people in the house. First, you have Uncle Robert, who's in a wheelchair and can't do anything except flap his arms and talk about how he wishes he had the use of his whole body. Oh, Uncle Robert! Uncle Robert! Oh, if I were not so helpless, if my shrunken body could lift you up and comfort you. 
Then you have his creepy housekeeper, Mrs. Krug, and her son, Hans, who spend their time asking perfectly normal questions in an unnecessarily sinister voice and pushing Uncle Robert around in his chair. The luggage, where shall I put it? Put it in our old room. Your Uncle Robert arranged it that way. I'll fix your things for you. Then you have Ruth, the daughter of the dead man and the niece of Uncle Robert. Ruth's great, except she seems to pronounce the letter T as the letter D. Oh, I know it seems foolish, but it's all about me, oppressing me. You have Ruth's boyfriend, Dr. Ted Clayton, who spends the whole 59-minute running time going from room to room and conducting banal conversations with everyone he meets, including the monkey. Oh, Ted, I can't. The impression was too vivid. I can't sleep in that room. And perhaps I'd better take you to the inn. Finally, there's a lawyer called Herbert Wilkes who's so unapologetically vanilla that I cannot even for the life of me remember his face. And also Dr. Ted Clayton's personal manservant Exodus, played by Willie Best, who pops up every now and then to remind today's generation how racist films used to be back in 1932. Now, let me tell you about the story, or should I say the lack of a story. For an excruciating 40 minutes, the inhabitants of the house simply dawdle in and out of rooms, occasionally meeting one another and talking about how horrible it all is. They never specify what it actually is, but you have to assume that they mean the shocking death of Ruth's father, an event so unbelievably harrowing for Ruth that she can't even be bothered to go and pay her respects at any time. And there's a monkey in the cellar, in a cage, in the cellar. Why, you may ask? No one seems to know. Turns out Ruth's dad was supposed to have disposed of the monkey, for reasons no one seems to elaborate on. One can only assume that in the world of 1932, all houses just had their monkeys. Like the houses of today all have windows. It's just the house monkey, for heaven's sake. Yes, it makes a row, but just ignore it. It's only the house monkey. What happens next? Well, nothing. As I say, everyone just meanders about, goes to bed, gets up, talks about how horrible it all is, then they drift into various rooms and talk to whoever seems to be there about how dash terrible it all is. Then they go to bed and then they get up again and repeat. Until roughly three quarters of the way in when your eyelids are struggling to keep apart, Mrs. Krug, the housekeeper, who's only gone and slept in Ruth's bed for some reason, is lying there enjoying dream time when a hairy hand comes out from a secret compartment in the headboard and strangles her to death. And suddenly, you wouldn't believe how much people care about death. Secrets are swiftly revealed. There might be relationships within a household you couldn't have seen coming. It all gets very involved for about five minutes, and then it stops. It literally just stops happening as a film. And to make matters worse, it chooses as its send-off. A horrible moment of racism. And I don't mean misjudged, I mean grossly offensive. Words cannot adequately express just how completely incompetent this film is. It is a totally inept, comprehensively ludicrous waste of time. Its one saving grace is that perhaps through careful study, the scientific community may finally crack the secrets of time travel, because let me tell you right now, the 59 minutes I spent forcing not just myself to watch this, but also my daughter, felt like a million years. I have had tooth extractions that felt shorter than this movie. As for redeeming qualities, nope. It's right up there with the gorilla and Zenobia, folks. This and those two are the holy grail of terrible. Even its title is a lie. The monster walks. Truly horrifying.
and not in the good sense. On to a rather delightful radio offering at this time of year, The Great Gildersleeve, one of the finest serial comedies ever to grace the airwaves. And in this spooktober edition, Gildy and the family are hosting a Halloween shindig. Will everything go to plan? I think we know the answer. Now let's see what goes on at the home of the great Doc Martin P. Gildersleeve. It's Saturday evening, the day before Halloween, and his niece is giving a dance. All afternoon, he's been rolling up carpets, putting extra leaves in the dining room table, carrying out furniture and carrying it in again. But now that the heavy work is done, he finds himself brushed aside. After an early makeshift supper, he wanders forlornly out to the kitchen to watch last-minute preparations there. Oh, what are you making there, Bertie? Frosting? Yes, sir. Say, that looks mighty good. Do you mind if I just... Oh, Lord! Uh, uh. Mr. Gillsleep, a man can lose a finger that way. Mm, um, um, it's wonderful, though, Bertie. Say, don't you think you've beaten that about enough? Ain't sure if it's stiff enough. Oh, well, I'll just see. Oh, the Lord, really? Just tasting it, my dear. Mr. Gillsleep, if you keep tasting, there ain't gonna be frosting enough to put in your eye. Who wants it in his eye? You'd like to put a little on a piece of bread now. Oh, Lord, go out and play. Yes, go out and play. Brady, don't you think it's about time we take another peek at that cake? Cake? I'll do it. Stay away from that oven. Oh, oh excuse me, Mr. Gillsleeve, but you want that cake to fall? Uh, I was just trying to help. Run along, Uncle Mort. I'll look at the cake, Brady. You either. What? If some of the people don't get out of this kitchen, I'm going to go clean out of my mind. Well, Bertie, I was just Well, you to... more trouble than all the rest of them. Yeah. Want me to fix a party? You've got to give me a chance. I ain't no Superman. No, sir. All I got is two hands. Pain to come in here, yeah. track and dirt. Come on, Marjorie. Right I down. think Bertie wants to be alone. Let's go in the other room. After you. <laughs> oh, Leroy, for heaven's sake. I am Frankenstein the Wolfman. I eat up little girls. Let go. I walked with a zombie. The undying monster. The living dead. Stop that and take off that mask. It's only me, Unc. Did I scare you? Yes. I don't know how you expect to scare anybody. You've been going around that rig scaring people for a week. Well, I'm just practicing being horrible. You don't need any practice. Uncle <laughs> Mort, you make him promise to keep away from my party. I just know he's going to... Oh, oh, that's probably for me. Don't worry, glamour puss. I wouldn't be caught dead at your party. Hello? Is that you? No, it's me. Oh, I couldn't tonight, Lester. I'm sorry. No, I couldn't possibly. Why don't you tell him you're giving a party and he's not invited? Shut up, Leroy. Let her alone, Leroy. Pardon the interruption. The brat again. Go on, tell me all about it. I don't know what kind of a Halloween party this is anyway. No games, no pumpkins. What did you used to do on Halloween, Unc? Oh, we did a lot of things, my boy. Made jack-o'-lanterns, bobbed for apples. Pretty corny. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Well, uh, <laughs> we had one little trick. Yeah? What was it? Well, we used to take two buckets of water. Yeah? And when it got dark, we'd put them on each side of somebody's front walk, and we'd tie them together with a piece of cord across the walk, and then when somebody came along, well, you can imagine. <laughs> hey, that's great. Uh, it was a very thoughtless, wicked thing to do, Leroy. <laughs> I hope you will never do anything like that. Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean it. Somebody might trip and hurt themselves badly. Remember that. Yes, sir. There's one other thing to remember. What's that? Only fill the buckets halfway. It won't work if they're full. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Go to the door, somebody. I'm on the phone. Well, get off it. I'll go. Oh, I've got to hang up now. Goodbye, Lester. Yeah, so much for Lester. It's Wally Hoff. Uh, Wally Hoff. Well, the kid himself. Hiya, Junior. What are you supposed to be? Funny 
Frankenstein. Oh, blow me down. Talk to Wally, will you, Uncle Mort? I'll be right down, Wally. I've got to run up and put on some lipstick. What for? It's coming right off. <laughs> ah, take these records, will you, son? And don't drop them. Got a couple of real oldies there. Red nickels. Gosh. Uh, <clears throat> Mr. Hoff, my name is Gildersleeve. I'm Marjorie's uncle. Oh, hi. Heard a lot about you. I've heard a lot about you, too. Favorable, I trust. Anybody tuning tune his so-called piano lately? Young man, that's a Wembley. Oh, not bad. Hey, Wally, I can play a boogie bass now like you showed me. Look. Hey, that's not it. Look out. I didn't do it right. Let me just... Look out. Let me at it. Like music, Mr. Gildersleeve? I like music, Yes. Mr. Hoff, would you mind telling me something? Not at all. Shoot. That sweatshirt you're wearing, is that customary these days? At dances, I mean? What else? In my day, we wore tuxedos. And we didn't wrestle. We danced. Oh, your day, your day. Your day is over, Uncle Mort. Yes, yes, I guess it is. Well, don't stop, Wally. Give out. What'll it be, gorgeous? Oh, anything at all. Only give. The party's dying and it hasn't even started. Mort, I don't want to be rushing you, but the gang will be here any minute. I can take a hint. Well, take Leroy with you. Why don't you see if Mrs. Ransom's doing anything tonight? Maybe I will, and maybe I won't. Oh, that's it. Play that. On with the dance. Let joy be unrefined. Oh, brother, even in my... Come on, Frankenstein. This is no place for us. Gosh, it's dark out, isn't it? Uh, Wally Hoff. He's a swell piano player, Unc. You stick to Bach. That sounds like Piggy. Hey, Pig, wait up! That's your signal. See you later, Uncle. Wait a minute. Yeah? I won't ask you to keep out of mischief, Leroy. Just keep out of jail. <laughs> okay. Where are you going, Mrs. Ransom? Never mind. Run along. Hey, Pig, wait for Frankenstein. Nobody's going to tell me what I'm going to do. If I want to call on Leela, I will. And if I don't, I won't. Just hope she's in, that's all. Yeah. Rock you mustn't do that. Yeah, but it's Halloween, Leela. No, it's not. Tomorrow's Halloween. I know, but they're celebrating it tonight. What are you doing, Leela? Well, I had this date for tonight, but at the last minute I was unable to go on account of a headache. Oh, that's too bad. Yes. Well, perhaps some other time. Oh, I feel much better now. Oh, you do? Uh-huh. Isn't that lucky? Will you go to the movies with me? Well, I don't know about tonight's Rock Mountain. I'm just scared to death of ghosts and witches and all. Oh, don't worry. I'll be with you. Uh, promise you'll stay close to me and protect me? I'd like to see the ghost that you get between us. <laughs> Slight wait inside for all seats. Oh, he says they'll be waiting, Throckmorton. How many, please? How long will we have to wait, miss? The next complete showing will begin at 9.53. How many, please? 9.53? That's half an hour, Leela. Do you want to wait? Oh, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? Oh, make up your mind. Oh. Stepping to one side, please. Keeping the line moving, please. Shutting the mouth, please. <laughs> Martin. Well, they can't push me around. Evidently, our patronage is not wanted here, Leela. Let's go somewhere else. I declare, 
Frock Martin. I've never seen Summerfield so crowded. Why don't these people stay home nights? Well, I suppose we could at least drop in here and get a soda. Would you like a soda? I don't know. Would you? I don't know. Would you? Oh, look, a little boy in a mask. Well, that's more like it. That's the first real sign of Halloween. Oh, who's that thing he's swinging around? Oh, that's a sock filled with flour. Oh, we used to have more fun with those. Oh, he isn't going to hit somebody with it. (laughs) What do you think it's for? Uh, Hello, little boy. Uh, Hello there, Sonny. What's your name? Uh, Oh, cat got your tongue, huh? You're not Piggy Banks, are you? You're not going to hit anybody with that, are you, little boy? Yes, careful now. Careful how you swing that. (laughs) I'll tell you what, if you go away, I'll give you a nickel. Listen, if you hit anybody... Look out now. If you're Piggy Banks, I'll tell your mother. Did you hear what I said? If you come near me with that, I'll... (laughs) Come back here, you. I dare you. Y'all, Frogmore. Oh, I think you might show a little more consideration, Leela. <laughs> oh, but you look so funny, darling. Come on, let's go in and get a show. Well. Well, hello, Mrs. Ransom. Oh, good evening, Mr. Peavy. And Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, has it been snowing out? <laughs> no, it hasn't been snowing. The lady here would like a soda. Well, aren't you going to have anything, Frogmore? I got something. Oh. Well, if you're not going to have anything, I'm not going to have anything. All right. Soda for me, too. Chocolate. Chocolate, it shall be. How have you been, Mr. Peavy? Oh, just fine, Mr. Ransom, just fine. Uh, you two been out doing the town? Well, if you could call it that. Halloween isn't what it used to be, Peavy. No, Mr. Gildersleeve, it isn't. And maybe it's just as well. Why? Well, I remember one Halloween. Uh, Harry, it's a lucky thing we didn't all land in jail. Well, what did you do, Mr. Peavy? Well, you know how boys are, Mrs. Ransom. I remember it was a dark night like this one. I, it, it was out at old Mr. Thatcher's house. Crabby old fellow. Maybe you remember the house, Mr. Gilson. Oh, yes, I remember it. Well, we'd planned this thing for weeks, and it was dark, as I say, so we appointed one boy as a lookout, and then we hid in the bushes till the coast was clear. Oh, yeah? Go on. And when we got the signal... We sneaked across the lawn. Yeah? We tiptoed up the front steps. Uh-huh. Crawled on our hands and knees across the porch. Yeah? And stuck a pin in his doorbell. <laughs> Peavy, you didn't. Yes, sir. And I want to tell you, I got out of there just fast as my legs would carry me. Peavy, I wouldn't have believed it if you hadn't told me yourself. Well, I, I'll be honest with you, Mr. Gildersleeve. I didn't actually stick the pin in the bell myself. Oh? I stayed behind in the bushes. But if they ever found out that that pin came out of my lapel... It's your shame, Martin, you know what I think? Know what? I think we ought to have a Halloween party, an old-fashioned one where you bob for apples and stick pins and things. But it's too late, Leela. Oh, no, it's not. Tomorrow's Halloween, really. We could have it at your house. But Leela... Oh, don't be an old killjoy. Now, who we have? Oh, you come, won't you, Mr. Peavy? Well, I'm afraid I wouldn't be able to, Mrs. Ransom. You see, Mrs. Peavy gets a little nervous around Halloween, so I usually stick pretty close to home till it blows over. Oh, too bad. Well, there, there's Judge Hooker. We'll have to have the judge. Yeah, for laughs. Now, who else? Well, we ought to have another girl. Oh, do you think we need to? Um, for the judge. You know, the old goat likes to think he's Sir Walter Raleigh. Oh, well, who can we get? I don't seem to know many women somehow. Oh, well, there's a Miss, um... Goodwin, I think her name is. Goodwin? 
I don't seem to recall. Uh, I only know her slightly. Oh, well, how does it happen I've never heard you mention her before? Well, I say I know her. I've met her, that's all. She's the principal of the school. Oh, a school teacher. Yeah, a school teacher. <laughs> well, that sounds perfect for the judge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, you know her, don't you, P.B.? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's perfect for the judge. <laughs> yes, <laughs> perfect for the judge. <laughs> She can't be that perfect. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I'd say that she was... <clears throat> Thanks for the sodas, Peavy. <laughs> Got to be running along. Oh, but Shrock won't now hardly finished. Got to get going before the crowd gets out of the movie. Oh, gracious, how you rush it, girl. Oh, forgot to pay. Peavy, did anybody ever tell you you talk too much? Oh, I know. Well, I... consider yourself told. Good night, Peavy. <laughs> Greg Gildersleeve will be with us again in just a few seconds. These days, everyone's interested in good, satisfying food, and everyone knows that flavor is mighty important. Yes, it's flavor that makes us enjoy the foods we eat. It's flavor that tempts hungry appetites. That's why Kraft, the maker of parquet margarine, is so particular about fine flavor in this delicious spread for bread. Parquet's flavor is something you'll want to tell your friends about. It's so delicate and appetizing, the margarine that tastes so good. And right along with its tempting flavor... Parquet margarine is wonderfully nutritious, too. It's one of the best energy foods you can serve your family. And while we're on the subject of good nutrition, remember that every single pound of parquet contains 9,000 units of important vitamin A. Parquet is a quality margarine that bears the seal of acceptance of the Council on Foods and Nutrition of the American Medical Association. So for flavor to satisfy your family and for the kind of nourishment they need, serve parquet every day. Ask your dealer for Parquet, that's P-A-R-K-A-Y, Parquet Margarine, made by Kraft. Halloween is here at last, and the great Gildersleeve is ready for it, come what may. Leroy has carved a pumpkin, and Bertie has prepared some refreshments. Don't they teach you any poetry in school these days, Leroy? Oh, Sure. I woke up in the morning and looked upon the wall. There was a flea and a bed bug having a game of ball. <laughs> Leroy, you didn't learn that poem in school. Oh, I did too. Piggy taught it to me during geography. Yes. Hi, George, I'm going to ask your teacher to change your seat. I can see Piggy's a bad influence on you. I doubt if Leroy's doing Piggy any good either. Oh, is that so? Who asked you to put in your two cents? Well, you're certainly just as bad as Piggy. I suppose his sister's been shooting off her big mouth. Leroy? She has not. Well, I can tell a few things about you and her and Wally Hoff. For instance... Quiet! I'm expecting guests here any minute. Do you think I want them to walk into this kind of a cat and dog fight? Well, he's ordered it. Stop it. They're all finish it. I'll not have this kind of goings on. Leroy, where are you going? Out on the porch. What for? Oh, well, that's all right, then. It's a very good idea. Make a cheery welcome for my guests. Well, what are your plans, Marjorie? Would you like to stay here and enjoy a little old-fashioned Halloween fun for a change? Oh, gee, do I have to? Certainly not, my dear. What were you thinking of doing this evening? Well, Wally and I were going down to Brownie's Beanery for a while. Some of the gang's going to be there. Uh, I certainly dislike that boy. Oh, he grows on you, Uncle Moore. Why, George, you won't get a chance to grow on me. <laughs> Hi-ho. Well, I'll have a real Halloween anyway. I'll see how Leroy's coming with the jack-o'-lantern. Uh, real Halloween air. Gosh. 
dark as a pants pocket out here. Where is that kid? Uh, Leroy! Hi, Uncle. <laughs> I didn't see you, Leroy. Confound it. How many times have I told you it's not funny to scare people? I wasn't trying to scare you. You called me and I answered. Well, all right, but be careful. Why haven't you lit the jack-o'-lantern? The, the wind keeps blowing out the matches. Nonsense. There's no wind at all tonight. It comes in puffs. Yeah. <laughs> well, give me those matches and I'll show you how a woodsman lights a fire. Where's the woodsman? Just watch me. Okay. Say, isn't this Judge Hooker coming? Where? I don't see anybody. Oh, well, it may be at that. Hello, Judge. Hi, Gildy. Yeah, trust him to get here first. Hi, Judge. Hello, Leroy. Well, Scott Morton, happy Halloween. Am I the first one? Oh, no. It works. Leroy here. Yeah. <laughs> Confounded, Gildersleeve, what's the idea? It wasn't my idea, Judge, but anyway, happy Halloween. Stand here by the fire, Judge, and you'll be dry in no time. Doggone that, kid. <laughs> now, Judge, boys will be boys. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if you put him up to it. Why, Horace. And you laughed. Well, I couldn't help it. I'm always laughing. Now, cheer up, Judge. Well, maybe that's my girl. Your girl? Miss Goodwin. What makes you think she's your girl? All right, I'm easy to please. I'll take Leela. Oh, no, you won't. Leela's my girl, you old goat. I'd rather be a goat than a hog. <laughs> Come in. We were just talking about you. I knew it. I could feel my ears burning. Yeah, they're still pink at that. <laughs> uh, let me take your coat. Oh, thank you. Oh, my, the house looks lovely. I think Halloween decorations are so exciting, don't you? I certainly do. Oh, good evening, Horace. Good evening, Leela. What a wonderful idea, coming in your old clothes. I just love old clothes parties. This is my new suit, Leela. Or it was when I left home. Oh. Well, what happened? Gildersleeve's little nephew played a Halloween prank that soaked me to the skin. Oh, how awful. That doesn't sound like Leroy's rock, Martin. It's my idea of Leroy. Oh, mercy. The judge might have caught pneumonia. Oh, don't worry about me, Leela. I'm a pretty tough old rooster. Oh, well, let's forget all about it and have a nice Halloween. Uh, where's your lady friend, Horace? Miss Goodwin? Oh, she's not my lady friend. Not according Now, to... Horace, can't you take a joke? <laughs> Seems to me I'm being asked to take a good many this evening. Uh, that must be Miss Goodwin now, Judge. Why don't you go and let her in? Well, thank you. Uh, what did Horace mean about her not being his lady friend, Frock Martin? Oh, nothing. Just his peculiar sense of humor. Ah. Uh, ah, good evening, Miss Goodwin. Good evening, Judge Hooker. So nice to see you again. Permit me to take your rest. Shrock Morton? Yes, Leela? I thought you said she was a school teacher. She is, Leela. Well, she dresses like the school teacher's an Esquire. <laughs> now, Leela. Here we are. Mrs. Ransom, may I present Miss Goodwin? How do you do? It's so nice to meet you. Good evening, Shrock Morton. Well. Uh, hello, Eve. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you tell me, Miss Goodwin, and you were such old friends, Throckmorton? Well, <laughs> Since he's been on the school board, we've seen a good deal of each other, Mrs. Ransom. Ah, she. Well, well. <laughs> Nothing so much fun as a Halloween party, is there? Or is there? <laughs> 
right technique for apple bobbing, Judge. Oh. You have to follow the apple right down to the bottom and get your teeth in it. Oh, I could never do that. I'd ruin my hair. I wouldn't mind. Let me try it. Well! Uh, yes, I'll show you, Eve. Stand back, everybody. Wait a minute, Yelly, wait a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, you will now witness a death-defying exhibition by Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, diving into one foot of water from the stupendous height of... Six inches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Horace, you simply scream. I declare I think you're funnier than Bob Hope. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. Yeah, neither would I. Look, I'll show you now how to get the apple. How you doing, Gildy? Uh, Mrs. Rockmont, come up for air. You'll drown. Don't worry about it, Mrs. Ransom. He has wonderful breath control. You look exactly like a roast pig. <laughs> I know what we ought to do now. Let's tell ghost stories. Oh, that's a wonderful idea, Eve. I know a real thrill. Oh, ghost stories never scare me. Yeah, it'll scare you if we turn out the lights. Turn off the lights, will you, Judge? All right. There. I'm still not a bit scared. Oh, uh, you will be. Once there was an old haunted house way out on the edge of a swamp. <laughs> there was a ghost in the house who was trying to find his murdered wife. And he used to go through the house every night at midnight saying, Ooh, 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 ooh. Ooh, I'm frightened already. Yeah, I'm a little nervous myself. Oh, poo. <laughs> well, one night some hunters were passing near the house when it got real dark. And not knowing the reputation of the place, they decided to spend the night there. So they went up to the door, and just then... Oh, Throckmorton, this is silly. I think it's fun. Uh, I know a game that's lots more fun in the dark than telling ghost stories. Uh, oh? Well, what is it, Leela? Sardines. Yeah. I never heard of it. Never heard of sardines? No. Oh, well, the way you play it, one person hides in the dark, and then all the others try to find him. Or her... And uh, when you find the person, you don't say anything. You just stand as close to him as you possibly can till all the others find you. That's sardines. Oh, well, I can see it's got possibilities. <laughs> yeah, let's try it. Miss Goodwin, why don't you be the first to hide? Well, Horace, I suggested the game. Well, you can hide next. Yeah, very fair, Judge. Go ahead and hide, Eve, while I count 50. Well, uh, I don't know any places, but... Oh, all right. All right. One of the things reminds you of the Forty-five, forty-six, forty-seven, forty-eight, forty-nine, fifty. All right, Eve, here we come. <laughs> uh, who left that chair there? Oh, doggone it! <laughs> <laughs> the judge is having a little trouble too. I can see. <laughs> Uh, that's this. <laughs> now, Throckmorton. Who is it? You ought to know. What am I supposed to do now? Stand close to me. Uh, uh, can't stand any closer, can I? <laughs> What's going on here, anyhow? Hey, no fair turning on the lights. Throckmorton, Gildersleeve. Now, Leela. Well, if 
I'd known there were this kind of people in the game, I never would have suggested it. Mrs. Ransom. Don't you try to shush me. I wonder if you'd mind taking me home, Judge. But, Eve, the party's just begun. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's all over. Oh, wait a minute. Leela, please. Eve, please. Leela. Oh, who invented Halloween anyway? Great Gildersleeve there with Halloween Party, and I hope wherever you are and whatever you're planning, it's more successful than Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve's jamboree. On to the ugly, then. And they don't come much uglier than a Quetzalcoatl. A what? A Quetzalcoatl. You know, the old Quetzalcoatl. The Quetzalcoatl is actually a real deity from Aztec culture. I mean, it's not real, real, but Aztecs did believe in the old Quetzalcoatl. And from the sounds of their descriptions, he sounds like a very blingy deity. Here's the official description of him. It wears around its neck the spirally voluted wind jewel. He looks like a rattlesnake and also a crow. But he's also the wind itself, and a spider monkey, and a duck. He's also a bit more part spider monkey, nice and specific there. Plus, he is the morning star, and an eagle. I mean, hard to pin down, I feel, but leave it to Hollywood to distill an ancient deity into a thing they can use to terrorize a load of people in a film. The flying serpent is what they came up with. Although from the looks of the thing, I think it would be more accurate to call him the paper airplane of doom. Anyway, looks aside, because beauty is only on the inside and all that, The Flying Serpent from 1946 stars the one and only George Zuko, as well as Guy Kibbe's brother. Yes, Milton Kibbe. You know, Milton Kibbe. Anyway, here's a clip. More than 300 years, Kitsukoato. You've guarded the trace with Monday's humor. Now you protect it for Professor Andrew Forbes. It was I who found it five years ago. It's mine by right of discovery. So as a human eye shall see it and live. I love the opening crawl of this film, which I'll have to read to you. Let me just quickly put on my thunderous foreboding voice. Near the little city of San Juan, New Mexico, stand the Aztec ruins. Not just some Aztec ruins, the Aztec ruins, all of them. Archaeologists tell us that they are the remains of a once great temple abandoned by the Aztecs when they migrated south to the Valley of Mexico, where they founded a rich empire. To defeat the greed of Cortez and his Spanish adventurers, who had inaugurated a campaign of loot and murder, the wily Emperor Montezuma hid his fabulous treasure far to the north and implored his native gods to guard it. Among these gods was the feathered serpent, Quetzalcoatl. Yeah, you know, Quetzalcoatl, the old Quetzalcoatl. Zuko plays an archaeologist, Dr. Forbes, who's actually found Montezuma's treasure, making him officially the richest man in the world. But instead of enjoying his wealth, he sort of keeps it in a cave with a coat over it for some reason. Very secure indeed. He's also discovered that Quetzalcoatl, you know, Quetzalcoatl, is still running around the caves. So he's put him in a little cage and he has chats with him. You're proud of your plumage, aren't you? Kill for it, aren't you? Without your kill again. Many times. 
foolish people who send one think I'm only a poor eccentric archaeologist. They don't know how rich I am or how smart. Forbes has discovered that if he plucks out one of Quetzalcoatl's feathers, then the creature becomes so desperate to get it back that it'll kill whoever's got it. So Forbes plucks feathers, then hides them on people he wants out of the way so that Sammy the Flying Sausage, I mean Quetzalcoatl, will swoop down from the mountains and murder these unsuspecting feather thieves. That is the concept. If you have a feather, then you are dead meat. The paper airplane of doom will fly in a suspiciously straight line and sort of bump into you very hard, then waggle around on your chest until you're dead. It's terribly scary. There, there it is. Where? There, don't you see the thing? Yeah, but what is it? I'm not sure. I never saw anything like that before. I guess nobody else ever didn't live to tell it. The Flying Serpents, then. Kind of a weird cross between Knight of the Demon and the Devil Bat. In fact, many critics have compared it unfavorably to the Devil Bat. And if you're being compared unfavorably to the Devil Bat, then you have to ask yourself some very serious questions about the quality of your work. You know what, though? I did not dislike this film. I actually really enjoyed it. I think if it had gone on for more than its 59-minute running time, then I might have wearied of it a little more. But the flying sausage deaths come in rapid succession. There's an intriguing line in Family Homicide that kicks off in the third act. And George Zuko is his lip-smacking best as the evil archaeologist with a pet murder muppet doing his bidding. The murder muppet itself is little more than a toilet roll tube sliding down a string, and I have been more scared in recent times by my energy bills than by Quetzalcoatl, the zip-lining sock puppet. But it's camp, it's efficient, it's just the right side of creaky, and I adore the fact that the whole cast roll up their sleeves and do their best to be terrified by the sight of Quetzalcoatl, the plastic bottle, as he trundles back and forth along his washing line every five minutes. I don't think Halloween is always about being petrified. Sometimes it's just about the campy thrills and nonsensical creatures. And if that's what you're after, then The Flying Serpent from 1946 will definitely tick your boxes. And so we arrive at the good. Or should that be the ludicrous? I mean, we had Universal's Pillow of Death, which is kind of the high watermark when it comes to ridiculous titles. The Brighton Strangler is right up there too, as is The Man Who Reclaimed His Head, The Lady and the Monster, The Devil Bat, and The Devil Bat's Daughter, starring Rosemary LaPlanche, the title of which suggests that the Devil Bat itself actually had an affair with a human being. Anyway, you know what I mean, ludicrous, but kind of attention-grabbing too. Part of you really wants to see what that title is all about, which is why today I want to tell you about the ludicrously titled, but all kinds of fun, 1946 movie, The Catman of Paris. And what a cast we have in place. Carl Esmond, Lenore Aubert, Douglas Dumbrill, Gerald Moore, in a period horror about a sinister cat monster creature stalking the streets of lamplit Paris. But is it a case of Catman do? Or Catman don't. What an auspicious time for you to have returned to Paris. You are a hero, the lion of the hour. <laughs> oh, you flatter me, monsieur. Certainly not. That book of yours, Fraudulent Justice, it is superb, magnificent. It will earn for him his nomination to the Academy of Literature. Without a doubt. Unfortunately, the government doesn't look so kindly on the book. Oh, nonsense. It is the courage to risk official persecution 
that makes an author like you important. Charles Regnier is a famous author who keeps lighting a fire beneath the wrongs in French society with his satirical books about the failings of the government. He's just arrived in Paris after a voyage around the world during which he had a bit of a strange health episode that might be affecting the way he operates in society. I didn't want to tell you this, but since matters have taken such a turn, I think it's my duty to. You know, Charles had a long siege of tropical fever. Is he ill? More so than people imagine. I've tried to help him in every way, and you must do the same. What do you suggest? He needs sympathy and understanding. If you're patient with him, I'm sure that everything will straighten out. Yes, Charles keeps having violent headaches, followed by blackout episodes, and when he emerges from them, a vicious murder always seems to have taken place. There's a Catman monster on the prowl, and the folks he's picking off all seem to be connected to Charles in some way. First, there's the librarian, who had documents that could have hurt Charles' reputation. Now the corpse lay exactly where you see it. Only the portfolio which Devereux is carrying is missing. You have reason to believe it contained important documents. Oh, most important. They were the documents in the secret trial of Louis Chambouet. Devereux was killed by someone interested in those documents. But you haven't taken in consideration one important factor, Monsieur l'Inspecteur. Which is? That Devereux was clawed to ribbons as if by a cat. Then there's Charles' fiancée, Marguerite, who just wouldn't get the message when he told her that he no longer wished to marry her. It's bad. Very bad. Yeah? The Catman has murdered another one. The Catman? Again? That makes two in two nights. This time the unfortunate one was a beautiful girl, one high up in society. The man must be Satan himself. Well, he's a supernatural creature, if you ask me. There's nothing supernatural about this. In fact, Monsieur Severin, the inspector, already knows the identity of the murderer. He expects to arrest him at any moment. He's a bad one, that fellow. He's no ordinary one. He's an important man, a famous writer. Yeah? He was to marry the girl real soon. Duval. Duval, you've heard of her. Duval. Duval. Marguerite Duval. Charles, it can't be possible. They're dropping like flies, and the only ones who seem to believe that Charles is innocent of the cat monster killings are his devoted friend Henry, played by Douglas Dumbrill, and his plucky pal Marie, played by Lenore Aubert, who's got a secret crush on him. Now, right up front, this is a Republic picture, so we're on Poverty Row again. But where the monster walks blew its budget on stock footage of monkeys, and the flying serpent blew its on George Zuko and zip lines for socks, the Catman of Paris looks for all the world like a big budget RKO, or Warner Brothers feature. Every penny is on the screen, they do a marvellous job of making you feel as though you've travelled back in time. It also has some rather spectacular set pieces. The first occurs at the beginning of the film, a scene in which a man is stalked down the gaslit streets by a large-looking shadow with claws outstretched. Now, it might not sound like anything too magnificent when I describe it, but this is full-on nightmare fuel, and it borrows gloriously and heavily from the German expressionist brand of cinema. The image of the Catman shadow as it peels across the face of the buildings is remarkable, and the scene culminates in two jump shocks. It's worth the price of admission alone. There's another staggering set piece at around the halfway mark when Charles is forced to defend his good name in a 
barnstorming barroom brawl that's one of the most visceral punch-ups I've ever seen in a classic movie. I'm also a big fan of the plot. Usually in these types of stories, you can see the solution a mile off. A character blacks out, they wake up to find they're suspected of being a killer, almost always ends up with them finding out they've been framed for the crimes and it's always very expected. However, the end of this film does something pretty haywire and I loved it. Performance-wise, solid throughout. Lenore Ober is a dazzling heroine. Why wasn't she in more films? Carl Esmond is very likable, and good old Douglas Dumbrell gets a lovely, meaty role, despite being three times the age of anyone else in the film. It surprised me in all kinds of ways, but especially stylistically. Usually I put these genre films on, and I expect to enjoy them ironically. Even then I'm mainly disappointed, but I actually felt justified in cheering the Catman of Paris on from the sidelines when it was all over. It's a very curious beast indeed, just like its titular character. And I'm really surprised that it isn't better known. Check it out, it's a perfect Halloween film. That's The Catman of Paris from 1946. Something to terrify you now, Boris Karloff. In an episode of Lights Out that's rightly regarded as one of the most spine-chilling tales of terror to have ever graced the airwaves. Lights out, everybody, as we take our seats for a death robbery. See you afterwards. Hideous things come out of the darkness to prowl the tortured earth. Evil hands stretch forth to seize. Evil eyes are watching. Unholy voices whisper and quarrel in the fearful silence. Death stalks. Loathsome, horrible death. Dare you put out your lights and listen to Boris Karloff in the story of horror in the deepening darkness? Dare you listen to... Lights out! I'm glad you brought up the question of ethics, Ed. Sometimes I think science is too ethical. Stands in the way of research. Mm, I don't know, David. Take your work, for example. It's wonderful, but you have to be very cautious. I think working with monkeys is about as far as you should go right now. Oh, but, Ed, David has passed that stage. Why not show Ed the one you worked on today, darling? If you'd like to see it, Ed, it's right in the lab. Yes, I would. I saw it last night after you injected the poison. <laughs> I'll get it, David. Thank you, dear. It's in the second cage. Mm, Ruth's a wonderful girl, David. Must be a big help to you in your work. Don't know what I do without her. But if she ever gets too interested in pure science, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going I'm going to lock her out of the lab and just make her go back to being a wife. <laughs> How do you find time for a wife? Now look here. All you practicing surgeons think the research man is a machine. Not me, Ed. Ruth means more to me than all the discoveries I might make. Her happiness is all I live and work for. Well, I can't say that I blame him. She's a very charming person. Here he is. Same one you saw last night, Ed. Stone dead. And there he is, just as healthy and alive as any other monkey. Why, it's amazing, David. Naturally, I've followed all the experiments along this line, but you seem to have progressed much farther. David can't go any farther with animals. He's ready for the next step. And he can do it. Well, I'm all for research, David. But you have a moral obligation in this sort of thing. 
How do you know it'll work with human beings? Oh, you're a surgeon yourself, Ed. You know that human beings are animals just like all the subjects I've used. I know it'll work. Well, knowing it won't get you far with society, you'll have to submit proof. I know that. And I've tried every way I can think of to get a human being to demonstrate on. He's tried insane asylums, penitentiaries, everywhere. No one will listen to me. Well, in a way, you can't blame them. Even to me, with my training, the idea seems, well... Blasphemous. My dear Ed, you can't stop scientific progress because of a so-called moral concept. Besides, what could be less blasphemous than a triumph over death? <laughs> I'm sorry, but I can't see it that way. I wouldn't want to try it on me. When I'm dead, I want to stay dead. Oh, that foolish Ed. Well, if I die first, I want David to use me for a subject. <laughs> Don't look so startled, Ed. She's always been my strongest supporter. But I'm not going to use her as a subject. I like her too well as a wife. <laughs> Still, it gives me the shivers to hear you talk that way, Ruth. Why? I've seen David's work grow to where the technique is perfect. Before long, his experiments will be recognized by the whole medical world. And if I can help him achieve that goal, I'm willing to do anything. Living or dead. I mean it. <laughs> She wanted to do it, Ed, living or dead. David, you're surely not going to hold it to that. Not now. Of course I am. She meant it. But I called you over here tonight, Ed, because I need help. Don't tell me that. But I want you to help me bring Ruth's... To bring her here? That's exactly what I mean. David... Will you help me? Or must I bribe some stranger? David, why don't you give this thing up? It's, it's inhuman. Ed, if I succeed, I'll have Ruth back. Don't you see how much it means? Well, yes, if you're successful. Oh, I've no doubt about that. Look, I've got my laboratory record. 714 times I've performed the experiment on guinea pigs, rabbits, monkeys. 714 times it's been successful. Don't you see? But, David, this is no laboratory experiment. Ruth was your wife. She is my wife. The only woman I ever loved. That's why I want to bring her back here and start her breathing and living again. There's an ugly name for what you're asking me to do, David. I know. Grave robbery. But there's a better name for it, Ed. Death robbery. We'll rob old man death. the door shut. Uh, on the operating table. I must say you are completely equipped. It's surgery, just as well as a lab. Everything we need is here. There. Well, it's done. Not yet. You mean you want me to stay? Ed, listen. Ever since Ruth... Well, I guess I've leaned on you for everything. I won't ask you to stay, but I do need you. Just a little longer. All right, David. 
I'll stay. Ruth will be the first to thank you when we succeed. David, I'll always doubt this until I see Ruth living, breathing, smiling again. It won't be long. Just a matter of 15 or 20 minutes. If nothing happens. What will you do if your operation doesn't work? Then you'll have just one more job to do as my friend. And that? Will be to bury both of us. Oh, now, look, David. If Ruth isn't alive again within a few minutes, I'll have lost her forever. And I'll have proved that my whole life's work is useless. I'll have reason enough to use any of a dozen tricks that any good surgeon knows. End the whole business. Oh, but don't look so horrified, Ed. We won't fail. Let's begin. I should remind you once more, David, that you're usurping powers that belong to God Almighty. I like to think that Providence has wisely held back the knowledge of things like this until we knew how to use them. And I know how. Hand me that large beaker. All right. I'm not going to back out on you, David. What shall I do? Do. You'll work as you haven't worked in surgery before. Thank heavens I've got your skill on my side. Now then, first strap the spigot manometer on her arm. I just happened to think of something. Keep moving. This is all a matter of timing. Yeah, but, David... Here are your instruments. And I want the incision right here where I'm shaving the hair. Make a small incision just at the fontanelle while I prepare the solution. David, have you considered... Please work fast. But, Dave, what? She was embalmed, you know. Of course I know that. I have something to replace the blood and, and counteract the fluid. It's ghastly. Finish the cut. I know what I'm doing. Well, that's all for the incision, but after all... It'll work nice. Now cut away the dura mater. Entirely? Leave the brain exposed? Yes, yes, I'll fix that. I've done it 700-odd times. This is no guinea pig or monkey. Well, I hardly need reminding. Sorry. What's that? A compound I've synthesized myself. What is it? I call it digamma paradiamine. Oh, I know that isn't chemically correct. It's as close as I can get to it. I knew that something like it must exist. It took three years to track it down. It took me that long to make the first drop of it. You know what you're doing, all right? Yes, I do. Now, if you're finished, take the leads from that storage battery there and attach the positive to the silver plate on the shelf. Put that at her feet. I feel as if I were doing something unholy. Place the tip of the negative in the incision you made in the skull. Be sure the tip of the wire actually, actually penetrates the pyamata. David, what if you bring her back? I will bring her back. But what if you bring her back and find she comes back without her soul? What? Her soul? Yes. You're a surgeon, and you believe in a soul? Well, I hesitate to say there is no such thing. You've seen a good many deaths, haven't you? Have you ever seen any evidence that the soul escapes at death? Perhaps I couldn't recognize the evidence. Put it this way, then. If there is any soul, it either leaves the body or stays with it at death. Now, no reputable surgeon or physician has ever been able to report the slightest evidence of the soul's having left the body. So, the soul, if there is a soul, must stay with the body, a part of it. I'm ready now. If you've finished. Everything's set. Good. Close that switch, then, at the battery. Watch the meter and keep the current between plus and minus five of 150. There's a rheostat on the edge of the table. All right? All right. Now, I'm going to inject 10 cc's of adrenaline in the brachial artery. Adrenaline? Adrenaline and something else. 
God, she's beautiful, Ed. Yes. She was. She is. You'll see her in a few minutes, just as she was. I wonder what you'll have to tell us. Nothing. Death is only a transcendental sleep. Do you really believe that? Oh, well, what's the difference? How's the current? Let's see. What? Well, it's jumped to 180. Good. Bring it back to 150. That's the result of the injection. On a dead body? <laughs> Let's say suspended animation. There are still a few things in surgery you don't know, aren't there? I've never dreamed of a reaction like that. I'll show you more. Help me swing this lamp over here. But let the Anita go. It'll hold steady for a minute now. But it might jump again. No, it won't. I've been all through this before. The reactions are exactly the same as the others. Well, this lamp. X-rays? No, it's a modification of the cathode ray. And just another of my developments. I call these are theta rays. Why do you call them that? Well, most rays are named for the first few letters in the Greek alphabet, alpha, beta, gamma, and so on. Well, that explains theta. Didn't you say ah, theta? Yes. But theta was called the letter of death by the ancient Greeks. Well, that's right. It was the first letter in the word thanatos. Death. Yeah, I see. A theta without death. <laughs> Maybe I was too sentimental. Maybe. But at least human for once. Let's not argue. Here goes the ray. Now, quickly. The solution. Inject it? No, pump it. I built this pump especially for it. There's the pump switch, Ed. Here? Yeah. Turn it on and watch the ammeter. Okay. It's jumping. How far? 155. Let it go. 160. 170. Hold it there. It'll stay there now. Listen carefully. Yes. As soon as I turn off the pump, I want spigma readings. But there won't be any blood pressure. Wait and see. Give me a reading each time I ask for it and take them carefully. Are you ready? That's fantastic. I'm ready. Okay. Reading. Systolic zero. Diastolic zero. That's all right. It will take a few seconds. Now. Forty. My God. Diastolic. Hurry. Zero. My orbit valve is still open. I'll turn off the ray. Reading. Forty-eight. Over forty-two. David, not yet. Now the stopwatch. Seven seconds after I say go, I want the systolic. Now you have it? Right. Ready. Now, go. few more minutes. All right, Ed. Now the ray again. We'll know the answer very soon. The second act of Lights Out, starring Boris Karloff, will follow in just a moment. 
But now listen to the sweetest shaving song ever written. Push pull, click click. Changes blades that quick. Push pull, click click. With the Eversharp Chick Injector Razor, yes, it clicks for men everywhere. Because the Eversharp Chick Injector Razor is the world's one and only razor with the automatic blade changer. No blades to unwrap. Fingers never touch the blade. Just push pull, click click. And a keen new blade is automatically locked in correct shading position instantly. It clicks because the Eversharp Chick Injector Razor makes shaving 50% faster, 100% safer, 200% smoother. Just try the Eversharp Chick Injector Razor for one week. See for yourself the difference. It's a $1.75 value. Special now, only $1.25, complete with 20 blades. For the shave of your life, the rest of your life, Switch to an Eversharp Schick Injector Razor. Get yours tomorrow. Push pull, click click. Buy an Eversharp Schick. How long do you use the ray this time, David? Not long. Give me a reading. 68. Over 67. Now. 70. Diastolic. 68. Now. David. 118. 76. Close. Now. 120. That's it. Ready. The stethoscope. Quick. Here. Listen. I can tell. Respiration's normal. Pulse just a tiny bit fast. And reflex is slow, but apparently all right. David, I... I feel I must apologize to you. Apologize? Why? Well, for doubting you, I suppose. <laughs> You'll learn to believe me. I'm very calm in the face of all this. Do you realize that you've performed a miracle? A miracle? I brought my wife back to me. As I promised her. It's... It's an unholy thing, but... But we've conquered death. Is that unholy? We have conquered death. May God forgive us. She'll only wait now. How long has she been asleep? Let me see. Eleven hours. Hasn't spoken at all? Not since that first scream, when she fell asleep. Have you given her anything? Just a few cups of brandy. Have you tried to wake her? No, but I think I'll try now. Wait a minute before you do. Why? Well, I hate to keep harping on this business about a soul, David, I realize this is no place for a philosophic discussion, but I can't help wondering why Ruth screamed when she first came back to life. I think there's a logical explanation. After all, it must have been a physical shock. That's true. It must also be true that there was a great mental shock involved. I think that's why she screamed, and 
I'm wondering whether there's been a permanent effect on her mind. Or as I prefer to think of it, her soul. Oh, you're simply bothering trouble, Ed. I've never seen any sign of permanent damage in my other experiments. Don't forget that Ruth was a human being. Well, there's only one way to find out. I'm going to wait. You're not afraid? Afraid? Of what? Ruth. Ruth. Wake up, darling. Ruth, dear, it's David speaking. Wake up, dearest. Ruth. Ruth. Ah! Oh, darling. No wonder it scared a poor girl. Ruth, it's it's David, dear. I kept my promise and you're alive again. Oh, you're all right, honey. It's David, you're you're Ruth. Ruth. David, what's the matter? Ruth. Oh, David, you'd better go out for a little exercise now. I'll stay here with her. I'll stay while you go out and walk around a bit. You've been there with her since 8 o'clock last night without any letter. Go on, I'll stay. Ed. I know, old boy. I'd give anything myself if we could undo what we've done, but... Ed, what can I do? Well, there may be something. Let's try an experiment when she wakes up again. What kind of an experiment? Well, let's see if we can talk to her, get her to say anything. If we can get a flicker of intelligence, maybe we can teach her, build up from a small fragment. Maybe it might work. I'm going to wake her up and try it. Well, not now. Why don't you take a walk? Relax a little. And get something to eat while you're out. Eat, I can't eat. I'm going to wake her. Ruth... Ruth, David, why not let her sleep? She's waking up now. Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Are you waking up? Poor child. Poor child. There, she repeats after me. A little. Maybe it will work, Ed. Ruth. David. It works. Seems to. Ruth, say I want a glass of water. Seems to. <laughs> I want a glass of water. Uh, it's too long for a... Ruth. Say, Ruth... Ruth... Loves... Loves... David. David. <laughs> Ruth loves David. Ruth loves David. Ruth loves David. Ruth loves David. But what is she thinking? I don't know. Oh, no. Stop it. Wait a minute, old man. Too much for tired as you are. Go on out and take a little walk and I'll work with it for a while. Your nerves won't take me from this. I guess you're right, Ed. I can't take it anymore. I'll be right there. Fine, fine. I'll take good care of her and see what I can find out. Be patient. Don't worry. And you get something to eat while you're out. All right, I'll try. Guy, this is really rough on him. Rough on him! Ruth! We're kidding ourselves. There's nothing there. She's a parrot. Never mind, Ruth. Ruth! Put down that scalpel! Don't hurt yourself! Ruth! Stay away! Don't put it down! Think of David! Oh! <laughs> 
Kate, what happened? Ruth. Scalpel. I'll get something and fix you right up. Wait. No use. Now, look. Dr. Artery. No hope. Ed. All right, Doctor. Your diagnosis is correct. A minute or two left. Ruth's hiding. Watch out. No. No soul. She'll kill you, too. What have I done, Ed? Everything I've done is wrong. Wonderful technique, Doctor. Congratulations. What about soul? Ed. Ed. Ruth. She's somewhere in the house. What if she gets out with a scalpel in her hands? There's been enough damage. Ruth! Ruth! Basement. I'd better take a gun. busy in the lab. No. No, there's nothing new. Just an experiment. No. Like so many experiments, it, it just didn't work out. Karloff in The Peerless Lights Out. There, that voice will haunt your dreams when you close your eyes. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this Spooktober Spooktacular. It's been a devilishly good time in your company. Just quickly, if you would like to see The Catman of Paris, The Flying Serpent, or even The Monster Walks, then you can do so by signing up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret. Only takes a moment, 
and you'll gain instant access to my classic movie library, a newly revamped and gorgeous version of which is coming in the weeks to follow. Not just that, but you'll also gain access to movie commentaries, over a hundred bonus editions of this very show, all the Halloween bonus material you can think of, plus full access to both days of November's upcoming film festival, two days of magical cinematic programming all provided for you. You'll also have instant membership to my weekly film club in which you and I watch a movie each week. Just go to patreon.com slash attaboysecret or download the Patreon app and search for me there. Or the easiest way is to follow the link in the show notes of this very episode from your phone right now. Just tap it, only takes a moment, and you'll be helping to support these shows. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Have a wonderful, wonderful Halloween, folks. Hopefully your trick-or-treat bags will be full in no time. Don't let the ghosts spook you too much. And have a marvelous time in the company of scary movies wherever you are in the world. I'll be back in November for a noir fest with a very special guest. So I'll see you then. Until then, take spookily good care of yourselves and those you love. And bye for now. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.